0: Well, it has actually been three weeks since I've preached, and so I was uh, preparing the message earlier this week, and I told uh, Liz, I said, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to wait until Sunday to preach. I was just like, all right. Love it. For those of you that are newer here at Bethel, Most of you have met me. I'm Pastor Jim Olson. I have the privilege and honor of serving here at Bethel as our lead pastor here of our St. Paul campus for uh, going on 25 years now uh, as of April 1st, 2015. We are in the midst of Advent. Thank you, Andrew, who's been doing a wonderful job leading us each week into that place of expectancy. Our whole theme for Advent 2014 is expecting. This morning, um, we're actually kind of now breaking in to uh, this uh, theme of expecting as we start a brand new sermon series or a brand new book study that is going to unfold for us over the next considerable season of time. When I came here 25 years ago, I um, the first book that I preached was the Gospel of John. And then 15 years ago, in 1999, uh, some of you may remember the uh, journey that we took through the Gospel of Luke. Five years ago, uh, we took a journey through the Gospel of Mark. Starting this morning, we're going to begin a journey through the Gospel of Matthew. I love the Gospels. They are powerful. And... Um, if you remember from other times that we've talked about the Gospels, the Gospel literally is a message that carries the living presence and power of Jesus. The Gospel is transformational. The Gospel is not simply informational. These Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are not simply biographies about a great, important man. But these Gospels actually carry in them the very power and presence of the living God himself. Okay, a few of you are coming along. The gospel carries within itself the very living presence and power of God. Isaiah says, the Lord lives in a high and lofty place and he also lives with those who are humble and contrite of heart, and who tremble at his word. So when we consider coming to the gospel, coming to the scriptures, anytime we come to the scriptures, but certainly, that's even intensified as we come to the gospels, when we recognize that the gospels carry the very message of the power and presence of God, we come to that with trembling hearts, recognizing that as we do so, we are going to experience his transformational power and presence at work in our lives. So we are not going to leave from this time today or from the times going forward as we begin to unpack this incredible uh, gospel of Matthew. We are not, as a congregation, going to leave unchanged we will be transformed now there are some particular uniquenesses about the gospel of Matthew so if you have your bible turn with me there we're going to obviously begin with the gospel which is the first book of the New Testament Matthew and Matthew chapter 1 But I'm going to give us some wide angle lens first and then we're going to come in and we're going to, today we are going to unpack the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew. But we're going to begin by pulling out the the lens a bit and we're going to talk a bit about this particular unique gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. First of all, this is a Jewish Christian gospel of all of the gospels, this is the gospel that has the most Jewish flavor to it. And yet, even though it is a Jewish Christian gospel, as we come and walk through it, we're going to see that it is really also a gospel for the church. And yet, if we stop there, we would be limiting it as well because actually it's a gospel to all nations. And even more than that, it is a gospel of the kingdom. I've entitled this particular message, The King is Coming, and you'll understand why in just a little bit. But So just to recap again, so this is a Jewish Christian gospel. It's a gospel for the church, but to the to the nations and it is a gospel of the kingdom one of the transitional significant verses in Matthew is Matthew 4:17 from that time on Jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven is has come near The kingdom of heaven has come near. This was Jesus' message. It is our message. It is the message of this incredible gospel. All right, let's take a look for a moment at Matthew, the author attributed by all of the early church fathers, and from the very beginning of the church, this gospel was attributed to Matthew. Now, what do we know about Matthew? Well, we don't have a huge amount of information, but there's a few things that we do know, that he was the son of Alphaeus, and also brother of James, the apostle. Another thing that we know about him is that he is also known as, in the scriptures, as Levi, the tax collector. So, if you know Matthew and Levi, it's two, so so he's Levi coming from his background, perhaps from the tribe of Levi, from a Levite, but he's also a tax collector. So this already gives us some insights into who Matthew is on a couple of different levels. First of all, it's interesting if you go through the 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 list of the disciples and, and where they're listed and how they're listed, you can make some inferences, you can't say with with absolute um, authority, but there's some inferences that would uh, have us understand that perhaps James, now this is not James the brother of Christ. We just studied the book of James. This is a different James. This is James the apostle. um, That this James may have been a part of the zealot party. So this was a a, a part of the, the fierce nationalistic group of people who were uh, intent on the purity of Israel, and they were very anti-authoritarian, particularly the authority that was above them from the government of Rome. And he that's Matthew's brother. Matthew, as a tax collector, was known as one who would have been known as a betrayer of Israel because he was a, not only a sympathizer with, a collaborator with the hated Roman government that was oppressing the people. So already you have some idea that Matthew, I mean, you know, there's some unique family dynamics. I bet, uh, you know, well, they probably didn't have Thanksgiving or Christmas meals being Israel, but I bet the uh, Passover meals or, uh, you know, uh, Pentecost uh, celebrations were interesting in this family when they got together. There were some really interesting political conversations. Let's just put it that way. So let's see the first introduction of Matthew in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew, look at what it says, and Matthew got up and followed him. For a couple minutes. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, well, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here is right here as we're introduced to who Matthew is, I mean... It's incredible, I mean, think about this, Matthew was making a really good living as a tax collector. I mean, this was about the cushiest of, at least economically, you were a social outcast, yeah, but man, you made the dollars, okay? And so as a tax collector, he was gaining lots and lots and lots of wealth, but when Jesus came along and said, follow me, Matthew immediately left his booth, and went and followed Jesus. And then he gathered all of his other uh, friends and associates to gather with Jesus and to hear what he has to say. Of course, the religious leaders get their uh, undies in a bundle in a big hurry, and they're like muttering, what are they doing, blah, 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 you know. And Jesus says, well, these are the very people I have come to bring life to. Don't you love that about Jesus? Aren't you glad that he came to you? When you were a sinner, while we were yet sinners, he came to us. Now, because of Matthew's uh, work as a tax collector, there was a certain precision about what he did. There was a certain logicalness about being a tax collector. So you're going to see certain things about kind of, you know, in all of these Gospels. I mean, this is, this is the beauty of Scripture. Let me remind you that these were written by human beings who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what I love about the Bible is it's not this sort of, you know, disembodied, sayings of, you know, wisdom and all of that. They're, they're embedded in real human life with real human people. And you're going to see some of Matthew's personality even coming out through his writing. You also will notice that he has a very unique vision. In Revelation 4, there is this scripture. It says, in the center around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes and in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And down through the, through the history of the church, those four pictures of the lion, the ox, the man, and the flying eagle have found themselves attached to, two particular Gospels as a symbol of specific Gospels that kind of, in, a, in, a, in a, a very quick, symbolic way, help you see the unique vision of each of those Gospels. Because each of these four Gospels is like a facet of a diamond. So each are looking from the diamond from a, a unique and particular and sp- specific perspective. Say that three times fast. Specific perspective. And do it with a throat lozenge in your, uh, okay, there we go. All right. So Mark has been traditionally, and if you, you know, you'll notice this in, in works of art and in statuary and all kinds of things, Mark is known as the man. And specifically, Mark's unique vision was to unveil for us, behold your servant and it was written specifically to Romans. Luke is known and connected with the ox, and his unique vision was behold your Savior and written particularly to Greeks. John, the eagle, is behold your God and written to really trans generationally, trans, you know, John is the most, kind of the 30,000 foot most theological of the Gospels. And then there's Matthew. And Matthew, the symbol for the Gospel of Matthew, is the lion. Behold your king. And it's written primarily to Jews but, of course, as we said earlier, to the church, to all nations, and the gospel of the kingdom. And so that's why we're beginning this series with even this, again, title of The King is Coming. A couple more things to give you this wide-angle lens. So thank you for walking with me. Okay, For some of you, this is really fascinating. And for others of you, you're going, when is he going to actually start reading the gospel itself? Well, we're going to get there. I promise. Okay? The outline of the gospel of Matthew, the first section, really begins to open up and reveal the person of Jesus the king, Matthew 1.1 1, 1 to 4.16. We just read a moment ago, 4.17, where Jesus, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is near. That begins a whole nother section of the Gospel of Matthew that takes us through chapter 16, verse 20. And the third section is the Passion of Jesus the King, Matthew 16, 21 through 28, 20. We're going to be covering between now and January the first section of the person of Jesus the King. And then starting in February, specifically focusing around Lenten time, we're going to begin the second portion of Matthew and specifically. During Lent, we're going to be focusing on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and all of the things coming after that, all right? So that's the easiest. There's lots of different ways that people, there's no simple way to to kind of fully outline the Gospel of Matthew, and there's some outlines that are about this long, and I'm just using the simplest one for your understanding, for our understanding this morning. All right, the key verse of the Gospel of Matthew, this is hard. There's so many great verses in Matthew, and you're going to come along, and as we walk through, there's going to be so many familiar great verses, and I don't, you know, it's hard to narrow it to one, but perhaps if we had to narrow it down, we could narrow it down to this verse in the Gospel of Matthew, which is where the Gospel of Matthew actually ends. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that reference is Matthew 28, verses uh, 18 to 20. All right? Matthew 28 18 to 20, the very final verses. But there in those final verses of the Gospel of Matthew, he begins, and we're going to see that in a moment at the very beginning of Matthew, but it kind of culminates as it gets to Matthew 28. You see this whole thing about, remember, behold your king, and notice those three things that he says about the kingship of Jesus. He has been given all authority. Philippians 2 That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. All authority has been given to Jesus. All nations. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. All nations. And all allegiance to obey everything. In Matthew chapter 12, we'll get to there sometime in the next year. Matthew 12, 46 to 50. Uh, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my brother? Who, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever gives allegiance to the king is in my family. So all authority, all nations, and all allegiance. All right. Well, now that we have that background before us, let's introduce ourselves to the Messiah. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Matthew chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible, please pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in front of you. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 to 17. This is one of those extraordinarily exciting passages of the Scriptures. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Selah. And all said, Amen. Okay. David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife? Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile To Babylon. Selah. Amen. Okay. (laughs) Starting in verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltil. Shiltil, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abud. Abud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of... Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Selah. Amen. And thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the, from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Christ. All right. Now, let's try to unpack this for a moment because you're probably wondering what on earth does this have to do with the price of potatoes in Idaho today? All right? In other words, what does this have to do with my life here In 2014, what does this have to do with our life together here at Bethel Christian Fellowship as we seek to live out the kingdom in the culture around us? Well, I'm glad that you asked that question because I think there are three crucial things that we discover from just understanding and reading this genealogy. So let me unpack those for us really quickly here, and then we'll be coming to a close today. The first of all is that we need to understand that Jesus came from the right line. The right line. So let's come back again for a moment to verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The specific word that he uses here, I just want you to make this connect for a moment. Because it's interesting that when when the books of the Bible were collected, and the early church was... was um, actually creating what we now have as the scriptures under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they began with the gospel of Matthew as the first book of the New Testament. And one of the reasons that they began with that is because, again, the strong connection that Matthew has, he's sort of the bridge between the Old Testament and New Testament and even the word he uses for this is the genealogy, this is the Genesis is the, is the similar word. It's the same root word for Genesis. This is the beginning. This is the very way in which Christ, this is the, this is the foundation upon which we're going to understand who Christ is, is through who he's a part of. Because he's not, he didn't just enter into the world in a vacuum. He has a heritage and a history behind him. And this is his genealogy. First of all, his name. His name is Jesus. So we have this genealogy of Jesus. The name which is from the same as the Hebrew name for Joshua, which means the Lord saves. There was thousands of children named Jesus. It was a common name. That would be as common as Jim is in our culture today, or John, or Joshua, or, but Jesus was a very common name, but had a very specific and particular, um, uh, you, it had a, a specific um, meaning to it, and that meaning is the Lord saved. Secondly, he is the Messiah, or Christ, or anointed one. Some of your translations will say Christ, some will say Messiah, others might even say anointed one. They're all from the same, they all mean the same thing, and they all are his title, which is king. I said this before, and I'll remind you again, when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Some people think, I mean, people don't actually know what Christ is. Christ is a title, the kingship, the anointed one, the Messiah. Son of David. This speaks of his lineage fulfilling the prophetic promise. Go with me to 2 Samuel for a moment. Come on. 2 Samuel 7. This is pretty critical stuff. 2 Samuel 7, 12-16. Okay? This is God's promise to David. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul when I removed from before, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, on a human level, there's a promise being given to David regarding his son Solomon. But there's a prophetic promise going behind beyond that that brings us down to Jesus, the son of David, who is also the son of Abraham. And here's another piece of his lineage fulfilling the prophetic promise of Genesis 12. So go there. Because again, Matthew, more than any of the other gospel writers, almost more than any other writer in the New Testament, is going to refer us back to the Old Testament. So we're going to spend a lot of time as we unpack Matthew, we're going to be unpacking a lot of the promises and a lot of the prophetic words given to us out of the Old Testament. In Genesis 12, you you remember this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, that never came to fulfillment completely through the people of Israel, through the Old Testament, through the stories of the Old Testament. But now, in Christ, he, the son of Abraham, will be fulfilling that prophetic promise of coming and bringing life to all nations. All right, the right line. The right time. Some of you will be interested in this. Again, others of you may find this completely irrelevant. But nevertheless, I think it's important to understand that Jesus came, and Matthew is giving us an indication right here in his genealogy that Jesus came exactly at the right time. Matthew 1.17, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, why is that important? Well, there's lots of speculation around this. And again, we can't say with authority, well, this is exactly what was in Matthew's mind. But here were perhaps some of the things that he was thinking about. One is, 14 is the symbolic number of David. So it was important to him. He's connecting him, again, to the promise of David the king. There was Hebrew numerology, which I won't go into all of that, but specific letters were given specific um, Uh, number, values, and the name of David has the number value of 14. And so this 14 that he emphasizes over and over again is part of that symbolic number of David. But if you do 14 times 3, because there's three 14s, you actually have six 7s. And seven is the symbolic number of completion. And so there's six sevens that have happened. And in a sense, we're saying he's waiting for, we're talking about the expectancy, looking for the completion, the seventh seven. So in a sense, Jesus is coming as the completion now. He's coming to bring completion to this that has been waiting. There's been these six sevens, and now the seventh seventh comes and arrives right at the right time. And then there are the key periods thus far in salvation history. And think of it like the letter N. Up, down, up. So remember when I was reading that, I caused us for a moment to pause after each of those 14s? Well, the first one is the movement upward from Abraham to David. When Israel was on the ascendancy from its birth to its zenith, under David's kingship. But then, after David, there was the movement downward from Solomon to the exile. So there's this this movement that takes us downward in the story of Israel. But then, from the exile back up to Jesus Christ, we're going back up, and the history of Israel is moving again in a positive direction until it reaches Again, a new zenith with Jesus Christ. One thing I can say with absolute authority is that in agreement with what Paul said in Galatians 4.4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law when the time had fully come. There is chronological time. We know this, remember? There's chronos time, and there's kairos time. Chronos time is the calendar time. It's the seconds, it's the minutes, it's the hours. It's the days and the months and the years and the centuries and the millennium. It's the chronological time. And then there's kairos time, those times of interruption when the time fully comes, when God comes and interrupts, And we know that at just the right time, God came and interrupted history and sent his son, Jesus Christ. He came at just the right time. Aren't you glad? You guys are getting awful quiet. Okay. I know I'm giving you a lot of history and there's numbers and your head's going, I don't know. All right. But we just got to lay a foundation here this morning. So one more thing. Last thing for us, uh, and and this I I really want us to to grab hold of very closely this morning. Carry this one close in, in your heart, because this is where, in a sense, the rubber really does hit the road for us. So there's the right line, the right lineage, the right timing, and the last is there's the right design. And what do I mean by that? Well, did you happen to read the genealogy that I just read? Were you you reading that with me? Perhaps there's some things that you might have overlooked that I would perhaps overlook as well, but I want to kind of help you see this morning, because this is critical to our understanding. Did you notice, as we read this, that Matthew's genealogy includes women? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. That is utterly out of character. For a Jewish writer in a patriarchal society where all of the lineage comes down through The man. But Matthew is already doing something a little bit subversive here. He's just sort of turning things just a little bit upside down and a little bit inside out here. And he's giving us some clues. He's sowing some seeds already into our hearts and minds and spirits that there's something more going on here and that that there's a transformational piece here that that we're not going to want to miss. The second thing, did you notice that there are Gentiles? There are Gentiles in this lineage, in this genealogy. There's at least two Canaanites. There's a Moabite, Moabite and there's a Hittite. That, that's kind of through marriage, but there's a Hittite here. There's, there are some of the very enemies of Israel are included in the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And to a people the people of Israel, where racial purity was of incredibly high value and importance, Matthew is saying, I'm going to turn things again. I'm going to just start refocusing your understanding and attention and to realize this is a gospel not only for the Jew, but this is a gospel for the Gentiles. And this Jesus Christ, he's unusual. Because he's already beginning to walk down and break down barriers. And then there's the whole list of outcasts. Have Have you actually read some of the stories about the people that are in this? There are liars and cheats and adulteresses and prostitutes and murderers and idolaters. There's a lot of errors. Yes. Hmm. So what's Matthew after here? What's he trying to show us? What do we need to hear today? What do we need to understand? What do you think God might be wanting to say to us today? Redemption. Yeah. Redemption. That's right. In fact, here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1:15 1, to 17. He says, "Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance: Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst." Look at what he says. This is a Timothy is written probably at the end of Paul's life. And he's not saying, I was the worst. He's saying, I am the worst. He still has a profound awareness of the grace of God in his life that saved him and set him free. He's still aware of his need and dependence on him. For this very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's what I want to close by saying this morning. And I want you to hear me carefully because I think this is something that is in God's heart for us to hear this morning. As we understand this design, and even the way that we see this, we we recognize something that has great significance. And that is this. Every life has value. For every life can be redeemed. By the goodness and mercy of God. And so as the church of Jesus Christ, speaking into a culture that is walking in darkness, we need to speak the light of truth. When we see unrighteousness and injustice and division around us, we must proclaim loud and clear that Jesus Christ came and through the cross has broken every dividing wall of hostility and made peace. This morning, this, this week I, was, I had the opportunity to, to be with my friend, Pastor Richard Coleman, who's preached here before, He's a wonderful friend of mine, African American statesman who gathers together on a monthly basis, a group of people in what he calls the Bridge of Reconciliation. And there was a, 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 a substantial gathering of folks from all kinds of backgrounds to, to talk about some of the things that are happening culturally right now, specifically in the area of race relations in our country. It was a powerful time, and one of the questions that comes up is, where is the church's voice in the voice of our culture? Where is the church's voice? And what, is our, what are we supposed to say? What is our voice to be? Well, our voice, there's several different things that we could talk about, and there were several things that were brought out in the context of that conversation that were very powerful. There is a a voice of repentance that we recognize that in fact and indeed that there is injustice and unrighteousness and division in our culture and we must repent for our part in that. We must extend our hands out in friendship. We must lament with those who are weeping and crying. And we must demonstrate love and life into a culture where hatred and death are so prevalent. We must stand together and say every life matters. People's lives matter. People's lives matter. All over the country this morning, in African American churches, pastors and clergy and congregants are wearing black as a statement, a symbolic statement of solidarity that black lives matter. And as a congregation and as a pastor here this morning, wearing my black outfit here from Nigeria, I want to say without any hesitation or reservation, Black lives matter. Black lives matter. And in this house of prayer for all nations, I want to say without hesitation or without reservation that all lives matter. All lives matter. And so, together, as we stand as a prophetic witness to our culture, as we represent, as we represent Jesus to law enforcement, to young black men, to Asians and Latinos to immigrants and refugees, to women and men and children, to poor and to rich, to uneducated and educated. Together we stand and we say, the King is coming. And as Jesus said, repent. Turn around and see your King. Turn around and see your King. The King is coming. The King is here. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's stand up together and we're going to sing together couple of songs as we close and we're going we're gonna to declare together prophetically this morning this is going to be our response to the word this morning is to make a prophetic declaration in song united together we are going to hallelujah come on If you want to step out? The altar is open. The aisles are open. Come on. Here we go. Hallelujah. And now with open hands, may you be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father and with the irresistible mercy and grace of His Son, Jesus. With the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I bless you, people of God. Amen.